1: That's what self-pity says to the Lord when we revel in our self-pity. Been there. Self-pity comes on you, and oh, woe is me, you know. I'm no good. We wallow in our self-pity. It says to the Lord, I don't trust you. It says to the Lord, you're not good enough. Your promises aren't good enough for me. I need something more. Self-pity is rebellion against God. One commentator said, self-pity is saying to God, although your word says you love me, I don't believe
0: it. You will face difficult times in your life, times of trials and testing that will bring fear. When these times come, what will you do? Today, Pastor Dave warns against running away from the Lord and feeling sorry for yourself. Instead, stay close to God, trust Him, and hold on to your belief. Remember, He is good and in control. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19 as he continues his message, Elijah the Caveman.
1: I know that each and every one of you in here has seen the Lord's glory at one point or another in your life. You've seen massive wonder things, wonderful things in your life. You've seen healings. You've seen relationships restored. You've seen all kinds of things. And when the bad time comes, you bolt? You run away? Because tough times have hit? Imagine what God could do if you would stand in faith. If you would stand in faith and face what's coming your way. Not minimizing the pain or problems that it might cause. Not minimizing that. But you imagine the glory that would be shown for God of you standing strong in the face of adversity? I mean, isn't that what the Apostle Paul preaches? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul constantly preaches, Of standing strong in the face of adversity? Standing strong. Everybody's going to have to suffer one way or the other. There's suffering, folks. We can't get around to It's called life. And there is suffering. But we need to take it head on, knowing that God is still in control. God is still on the throne. And we need to take that. We need to find out. We can only imagine if only Elijah would have listened to the Lord. But he did not. Before we come down real hard on Elijah, before we beat him up with a stick or something like that, Remember what James said about Elijah? He was a man of like passions, meaning, number one, he was just a man. And number two, he was like us. Like passions. He was like us. We can't come down too hard on him. How many of you have prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, help my unbelief? I'm not believing in you right now. Help my unbelief, Lord. I think the message here is to prepare ourselves. After victories, things happen. After great victories, things happen. How quickly we can move from the mountaintop to the valley. How quickly we can move from the mountaintop to the testing. We need to continue to humble ourselves before our Lord and stay close to Him. Ever close as we possibly can. As He prepares us for the trials and the testing that always come after a victory. There is always Trials and testing after a victory, always. For three years, Elijah had not made one move without hearing and obeying the Lord's instruction. He didn't go anywhere unless the Lord told him to. But now he's running ahead of the Lord in order to save his life. Listen to what I read. Quote, when a servant of God gets out of the will of God, we will do all sorts of foolish things and usually fail in our own strength. When you move out of the will of God and start doing things on your own, failure is not far away. I can prove that. Great men of faith in the Bible. Look at the Bible. Abraham has a great victory. He goes to Egypt and fails. God never told him to go to Egypt. We all know about David. How about Moses? Peter, our man Peter, Elijah was a strong man. He was a man who was fixed on God's word, who heard God's word, and who acted on God's word. But when Jezebel threatened him, his knees buckled, and he went down. The safest place for a child of God is to hang out in a place dictated by the will of God. It's the safest place for a child of God to be. In a place where God wants you to be. But sadly, like so many of us, Elijah did not stop to seek the will of God. He reacted in the flesh and not the spirit. And the results are not so good. So the great and awesome Elijah is derailed by a woman. And not only was he derailed, but he was afraid of her. And he ran away. He ran away. Look at verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. A broom tree is basically a juniper tree. A broom tree is a juniper tree. Actually, it really means a flowering shrub. That's what this broom tree means. As Elias sat there, he finally does something wise, but In the wrong way. He did pray, but what he prayed for is not really what he should have prayed for. He asked the Lord to take his life. I'm no better than my fathers. The Lord never asked him to be better than the fathers. The Lord never asked us to be better than anyone else. I can't be better than you, nor you can be better than me in our own eyes. I'm not supposed to live up to you, and you're not supposed to live up to me. We can't be better in each eyes. Never asked us to be better than anyone else. All the Lord wanted from Elijah, all the Lord wants from us, is to hear his word and obey. It's all he's asking for us to do. Quite hard at times, though, isn't it? Quite difficult at times to hear the word of God and obey it. One commentator said this, quote, the combination of emotional burnout, weariness, hunger, and a deep sense of failure, coupled with a lack of faith, brought Elijah into a deep depression. Well, I guess so. But I also see some pride in this. I see some pride creeping into this. Elijah thought that the ministry on Mount Carmel would bring all of Israel to its knees, and it did. But he also thought he would get the better of Ahab and Jezebel. He thought he would bring them to their knees also, which it did not. They did not repent. They did not turn from serving Baal. This could have led him into what is known as self-pity. And he considered himself a failure. Self-pity. I'm no better than my fathers. Uh. Woe is me. I'm going to go out back and eat worms. Oh, it's terrible. But what I really love about this is we get a picture of God. We get a great picture of God in verses 5 through 8 because while Elijah is running away, while Elijah is running and turned tailed and running for his life, afraid of a woman, why he's doing that, God continues to provide for him. God continues to provide for him, even in his failure. Snap out of it, Christian. God will continue to lead you and guide you, even in your failures. Because he wants you to come back to him. He wants you to come out of your failures and turn back to him. He wants you to listen to him, which we're going to get to in a couple minutes. Let's look at verses 5 through 8. Then, as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. So he's under this tree, resting, which he needs rest. He just ran like crazy. Traveled over 100 miles to get from Jezreel to Beersheba. He needs his strength. He's napping. And an angel comes and taps him on the shoulder and says, Here, take some, eat. God provides for him miraculously. I just love this. Now, in verse 6, The Hebrew word translated for angel is messenger. It's a messenger who comes to him. However, in verse 7, there's a change. What's the change? What's the change? There's a name there. Angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord. And in the Old Testament, when you see angel of the Lord... It's a theophany, it's an epiphany, it's a revelation of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And that's what it means, and that's what is accepted by everyone to mean that. Our Savior visited Elijah. Our Savior visited Elijah. He needed strength for what's ahead of him. Because he was going to now travel 250 miles more to Mount Horeb. What's the other name for Mount Horeb? Where did Moses get the Ten Commandments? On Mount Sinai. Sinai and Horeb, same. Sinai and Horeb are the same. So he is going to go to the mountain where Moses received the commandments of God. He is going to go to the mountain. Some think that Elijah wanted to imitate Moses, who spent 40 days on Mount Sinai getting the tablets. Remember, he goes up there and he spends 40 days communing with God and getting the tablets. Some think, but when he arrives, what does he do? (laughs) He goes into a cave. He finds another cave to hide into. Let's look through 9 through 14. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in the place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing, Elijah? (laughs) So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord of hosts, for the children of Israel forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets in the sword. I'm alone. I am left and they seek to take my life. And then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces for the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts, God of hosts, because of the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, then killed your prophets, and the sword, I am alone, left, and they seek to take my life. But somebody tell me what's wrong with Elijah's answer? Did Elijah answer the question? No. Elijah never answered the question. He never came forward to the Lord and said, I'm hiding. (laughs) I'm hiding because they want to kill me. He did finally say, they seek my life. But the Lord speaks to him and he asks him, why are you in a cave? Why, Why are you possibly in a cave? Now, Elijah was depressed. He was weary. He was burdensome. He was heavy laden. I get a picture here of David saying, why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? And then David answers his question, hope in God. Hope in God. Elijah, where's your God? Where's your faith? Where are you hoping in God? Many think that this is one of Elijah's biggest downfalls. Was the Lord asking Elijah, why are you wallowing in self-pity? Why are you wallowing in self-pity? Interesting. self-pity says to the Lord, I don't think you're in control of my life. I don't like what you're doing in my life. That's what self-pity says to the Lord. When we revel in our self-pity. Been there. Self-pity comes on you, and, Oh, woe is me, you know. I'm no good. We wallow in our self-pity. It says to the Lord, I don't trust you. It says to the Lord, you're not good enough. Your promises aren't good enough for me. I need something more. Self-pity is rebellion against God. One commentator said, self-pity is saying to God, although your word says you love me, I don't believe it. Elijah was going through a fit of depression and wanted the Lord to take his life and end it. And if you've ever been in a fit of depression, you can understand Elijah's problem. I go through depression a lot. I suffer through it, and I understand where Elijah was coming from. I understand where David was coming from when he said, why are you downcast? Oh, my soul, I understand it. David had the answer when he said, hope in God. Our hope is always in God. Elijah knew that, he just wouldn't go there. It was too easy for him to fall into self-pity, self-condemnation, self-deprecation, self-whatever. And what happens then? Then we start cutting ourselves or using drugs or alcohol to fill the void because we know God can't do it, so somebody's got to fill it. So we start to fill it, or we use pornography, we use whatever. We start using something else, gambling, who knows? We start using all kinds of other junk to fill the void that God is supposed to fill, but we can't believe he can fill the void, so I have to do those other things. I have to try to fill myself. That's what self-pity does. It pushes you into rebellion against God, and all the things that you start to do, God is sitting like, that. what are you doing, Elijah? Why are you here? What is going on? God loves to ask questions like that that he already knows the answer. My heart breaks when I read in Genesis. When I read in Genesis and I hear the voice of God crying out, Adam, Adam, where are you? My heart breaks. And somebody says to me, well, didn't God know where he was? Well, of course he knew where he was. But he wanted Adam to come forth and tell him where he was. He knew exactly what was going on but you hear the heart of God breaking. Adam, where are you? I hear the heart of God breaking here. Elijah, what are you doing? Why are you here? Well, why are you doing this? Look at all the things that happened in the past. Have I not shown you all the things that you should be thankful for? All the things that you should be leaving me for? Christian, God saying to you, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why are you disquiet? What are you doing? Haven't there been enough? Your self-pity is saying that's not good enough. Your self-pity, your rebellion is saying the cross is not good enough to cover my problem because I'm not like my father's. My problem's worse. Sorry, gang. That be the case then our Jesus died in vain. You can name one thing beside the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that that cross didn't cover. Well, then I'll talk to you. But you can't name one thing that wasn't covered by the cross of Jesus Christ. Except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's just rejecting Jesus and not believing. The crazy thing about it is the Lord's question was not a rebuke. The Lord wasn't rebuking him. The Lord wasn't rebuking him. He was trying to figure out the heart of the matter, which was the heart. Where's your heart, Elijah. Who are you trusting in? You might as well be back there with Jezebel trusting in Baal. You're rebelling against me just like the children of Israel did. What's wrong with you? I sent you to them. The prophet didn't answer the question, so the Lord asked it twice. The Lord asked the question twice, what are you doing? The Lord wanted to know why he was hundreds of miles away from his appointed place of ministry. And I think that's a good question. And I think we need to explore that. Why are you 100 miles away from your appointed place of ministry? What am I saying here? The Lord has an appointed place for ministry for every single person in this room. Every single person. He has created us for good works. Why are you 100 miles away? Why are you going? He places you in a town. He places you in a city. He places you in a job. He places you with a family. That is called ministry. And many, many people think, well, when I get in full-time ministry, no, you got it all wrong. You are in full-time ministry. You are in full-time ministry. You've been given a chance to witness to your family, to witness in your city, to witness at your job, to witness wherever you are. Why do we always have to go all these other places to do ministry? Now, missions is good. Don't get me wrong. I support missionaries. I love missionaries who are called by God, who are actually called by God to go someplace. But if you haven't been called by God, you're called right here. Did you ever hear the phrase, bloom where you're planted? We're we're to bloom where we've been planted by the Lord. We're to bloom right here. Right here. Many of us think we're in the wrong place and try to move to other places for ministry. And the Lord doesn't ordain those other places and we end up failing miserably. We fail miserably. Elijah thinks he's the only one left to do God's will. I'm the only one who cares, Lord. I'm the only one who cares. This can't go on without me. That's kind of presumptuous. That's kind of presumptuous. Elijah thought he was indispensable. (laughs) That's some bad news for everyone here today. Not one of us indispensable. <laughs> not one of us indispensable. Not one of us, including me, including anybody else, none of us are indispensable. The Lord told him, hey, he's going to tell him, hey, wait a minute, I got some guys waiting for you. There's <laughs> some people still around. There's a the few guys still left, pal. You're not the only one. The Lord, just, the Lord says, Elijah, get out of the cave. Get out of the cave and stand on the mountain. And I love these verses. Man, these are such powerful verses. Let's read 11 and 12 again. These are powerful verses. The Lord says, go stand on the mountain. Get out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and the, broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. I love that. I love that. Did Elijah think that the Lord was going to take out Ahab and Jezebel? Here he was standing on the very mountain that Moses received the Ten Commandments. The very mountain of God. And for all we know, it could have been in the same place. Could have been in the same place. It doesn't really say. He says, come out here. The Lord passes by. What does that mean? The Lord passes by. Wow. Think about that. The Lord passed by and there was all this wind that blew rocks all over the place. And an earthquake and a fire. But the Lord wasn't there. There was no message from the Lord in the earthquake. There was no message from the Lord in the fire. There was no message from the Lord in the wind. Just a still small voice, which is being translated a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. God was showing Elijah, Elijah, you gotta listen to me, man. Everything in the universe is obedient to me. (laughs) I control everything, I'm in control of every single thing the wind, the foundations of the earth, and all the fire. I can get the work done in a variety of ways, Elijah. If you wanna resign, resign. I can get things done. I'll get someone else to step up. But Elijah heard the still, small voice of God. And it says he wrapped himself in his mantle. So it was when Elijah, 13, so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and it said, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> I love it. Elijah sensed that God was present in the still small voice. In a way that he had never been present before. You are sure.
0: This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. Thanks for tuning in. Throughout the book of First Kings, we read about rulers who had victories and rulers who failed miserably. King Solomon, known as the wisest king, made his own fair share of mistakes in his life. In fact, in his later years, he began to put his faith in wealth and women rather than wisdom of the Lord. How often do we do that? How often do we put our faith in the worldly things rather than in the Word of God? If you have some questions about what you heard today, we'd be happy to try to answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. Keep looking to Scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the Messages tab when you visit AssureHopeRadio.com. We'd love to meet you, too. Each Sunday, we gather at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m., and you can find directions and more about Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting AssureHopeRadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at AsureHopeRadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of First Kings next time, so be sure to join us again right here on Asure Hope.